0: And in Modern Life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Um, this is actually a rebroadcast of a very, very early episode I did back in February, but I'm thinking because it's Thanksgiving and there always seems to be an article somewhere, somehow, where they're talking about how to put up with um, relatives who you may not agree with politically. I don't know if this was ever a problem years ago but it seems like now you know there's always an article somewhere i think one i i have not read it yet but the but the basically the um the headline was basically how to deprogram your relatives and there's a thing sometimes and i think in our society where we really put too much um worry and and thought into politics and what someone thinks, and so we're just always so obsessed about it. And um, this early episode that I did was actually about a story that I observed almost 30 years ago now um, between two women, two women from very different backgrounds, and they were dealing with a very, at least back at that time, volatile issue. yet they were able to come together and sometimes I wonder what has changed in our culture in the last 30 years that we don't really want to come together and try to understand each other Um, we are ready to judge each other and not ready to really find common ground anymore so I wanted to share this because as we sit down um for our Thanksgiving meals, I think it's important for us to remember that um, the important things in life are not necessarily what political views you have, it's not about whether or not you think tax cuts are a good idea or um, universal health care, whatever, it's really about how you care for those around you. I am mindful of a, f- a friend of mine, a mentor, who um, had a father that was incredibly racist. And he was surprised when he had this man's, his father's funeral, how many people were there that were of different ethnicities and racism. And how he, this, he found out his father really treated a lot of different people very well and maybe what it got down to is that at at some point his father this man's father just saw people as people i mean he was probably still pretty racist but you know that's kind of the complexity of humans we we are not as simple as we like to think we are and um i guess i want and hope that there is a little bit more grace in our world It's not to say that those political issues don't matter. They do. But I just hope that we can see each other as humans, as people that are trying to figure things out. And um, so that's kind of what I wanted to share with this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, Again, don't um, forget to rate uh, this podcast if you have the chance and um have a good thanksgiving we will be back next week with uh going hopefully back to our old interview style of podcast but um until then happy i hope you enjoyed this and um, have a happy and safe thanksgiving take care goodbye Code three of Polite Company, the podcast on the two things that we aren't supposed to talk about in Polite Company, religion and politics. My name is Dennis Sanders. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me. We hope that if you are listening to this on um, iTunes or some other podcast service, that you would leave a good review and also consider uh, leaving a rating. Um if you do that, that helps actually get our, the message out of who we are and would love that you could spread the good news of, of polite company. And also if you get the chance, consider subscribing uh, on whatever service that you listen to. So today, we are actually going to be talking about religion um, and where religion and politics combine or come together. Uh, the way I want to start this out is by telling you a story. And the story took place almost now 30 years ago. Um, I was attending a fairly good-sized Baptist church in Washington, D.C. Uh, the church was an odd mix in many ways. It was um, that was at the time both uh, a member of the American Baptists and uh, the Southern Baptists. Um, For those who are unfamiliar with Baptist life, and and I grew up Baptist, uh, the American Baptists are tend to to be the more mainline of denominations. Uh, Southern Baptists, uh, a very large um, evangelical Denomination, and in that part of the country, and uh, Maryland, Virginia, uh, D.C., it was not un- it was not shocking to see churches that belonged to both denominations. Um, this so because it had that mix. Um, this also was a church um, where there were evangelicals and liberals worshiping together, um, and then there were also a healthy dose. Dose of members from Latin America and from Asia. Now, the church at some point wanted to hire um, a pastor, Um, a dear woman who was going to join um, the multi pastor staff. She had great pastoral care skills, and um, I think people were, were interested in having her be on staff. There was a bit of a controversy, though, because at the time, and this was again in the early 90s, she was someone that was very much in favor of um, LGBTQ people, and especially in in the life of the church, and that could run, rub some of the evangelicals in the congregation the wrong way, and so I can remember that we had a, there was a, Meeting of the church after worship on a Sunday. It was a special meeting, Um, and so we were talking about this of of whether we were going to hire her or extend a call to her. Um, And then there, uh, this woman stood up, and she was uh, one of the members that came from the probably from the was from the evangelical side of the congregation. And I would think that she had what you could consider a traditional understanding of homosexuality. But here was the surprising thing. She spoke in favor of calling the pastor. Now, here's something you should know. The pastor had been involved, actually, in the congregation, was a member, actually, of the congregation for several years. And the two women got to know each other. And I can remember this woman saying, we don't agree on this issue. On this one issue, they just did not see eye to eye. But this woman was a good friend. And she saw her as the right person for the job. What's so interesting about this story is that I don't think that that could happen today. Churches, kind of like the one that existed in D.C., aren't really exist in that way anymore. And in fact, in the years since I left, um, that church has become more firmly planted on the progressive end of Christianity. It actually formally left the um, Southern Baptist Convention. And, you know, I think we now live in a society where Just like politics, um, evangelical Christians and liberal Christians have basically sorted themselves, and they've sorted themselves into different churches, and so they don't really know each other. And so it makes it a whole lot easier to highlight differences and then to demonize each other. The other thing that was interesting in the 90s, and this was also at the time that I was coming out um, as a gay man, was how some of these congregations that I was aware of, and and mainline Protestant uh, congregations, how they were grappling with this issue of of gays and LGBTQ people. And I would remember hearing every so often after maybe a difficult vote that may have actually even went in our favor, There was always someone there that would say something to the effect of, now we have some healing to do. People had their views on these issues. But it was interesting that the emphasis was really on the the wider community and that healing meant healing of the whole body, that the relationship mattered. The differences, of course, on on gay rights was there 20, 30 years ago. And the differences had always, I mean, probably had been there. But there seems to have been more of an opportunity back then for people to come together, for people to meet each other. They got to know people. Um, maybe the best parallel is... It was not unsurprising 40 or 50 years ago that people who politicians lived in Washington, they had, um, they bought homes, they worked together, their families mingled together. The people got to know one another. So even though they may have differing opinions on a lot of different issues, they knew each other. They were friends. But we don't live in that society anymore. We have so self-selected ourselves. And as I said, we've done that politically, but we have also done that religiously, that we basically now pick our friends and that's it. We don't try to build bridges with those who might have different opinions, which is funny because as much as we say that we want... we want to have diversity, we too often want to basically be around people that all think the same. So why am I telling this story? I guess it's because it reminds me of how the church has become in many ways captive to culture. And this could be a wider issue on with other denial, other other faiths. Um, I don't know how that affects Judaism or Islam. I'm kind of telling it from my my standpoint as a Christian, but we don't really know how to talk to one another and how to talk to one another with respect and how to value one another. Civility was this civic value. And I think it was even a moral value. But now that's become a dirty word. People now, when they think about civility, they think it more that this is some tactic to keep people quiet and to basically tamp down people who are shouting for justice. And I can see that. There are cases where people are trying to basically shut people up. That that makes sense. But we seem to have forgotten, especially even in the church, of how to respect and to honor each other. And I'm not talking about papering over our differences. But to find ways to know each other and to care for each other and to see the humanity in each other, to know that each, each, each person, even if we disagree, is a child of God. So why has this happened? What went on? What has caused what I saw 30 years ago to not happen today? Well, there are a few things. The first is that churches, like I said before, have sorted, and now, liberals go to liberal churches. conservatives go to conservative churches. Everyone goes where everyone agrees. The second thing is, there is a distrust of anything that preaches respect for the other. As I said before, civility is viewed with suspect, and so is reconciliation. We demand respect, but the thing is, I don't think you can really get respect unless you have civility or reconciliation. And it's interesting, conservatives, Christians, in many ways, have complained that they were not being treated with respect. And so... What would they do? They incited to back someone like Donald Trump, who basically had no basic decency, who couldn't learn how to respect anyone else except for himself. And they did that because they didn't think or believe that civility or reconciliation worked. In fact, in some ways, they agreed with with Trump that... Such values are for chumps. But I think that there is another reason, the third reason, I think is actually the most important reason. I think that we are dealing with a crisis of meaning. The reason that those two women were able to, uh, to kind of come together was because they had something in common. And that was the church. And politics was not the number one thing in their lives. The writer uh, Martin Gurry uh, wrote an article recently where he he starts it off by recounting his days as a young man that had recently immigrated from Cuba. And he reminded himself as he was, uh, was with his friends and and encountering life, how little politics played in people's lives. And this is something that uh, Gurry writes. American life at the time revolved almost entirely around the private sphere. Family above all, but also church, schools, sports, and community organizations like Masonic Lodges and Chambers of Commerce. These institutions held our attention because they were near in real. Now, I believe he was talking about the 1950s, 1960s, so that would be a time when institutions in America were very, very strong. And of course, the one of those institutions was the church. The church at that time, in the 50s and 60s, was fairly strong. Uh, everyone went to church, that has started to change, and of course now we don't have that. But back then there was a strong private sphere that was were filled with all of these different institutions that what they did was give people a sense of identity and meaning and belonging. So in Gurry's youth, national politics was something that was far away. And the reason that there was a, that you could discuss that topic and not come to blows was that there was room for tolerance and compromise. The stakes were small because you could practice tolerance in politics and in other things in life because you had all these other institutions that you could rely on. And so politics was not the thing that you drew on for your very life. Now, we can fast forward sixty years later, and we now live in a society where the private sphere has been hollowed out. Institutions like the church or the Masonic Lodge or sports, or commu- and other community organizations, are very weak. Or they just don't exist anymore. What is important to us is our individualism. And there are good points to our individualism, but it is an individualism with nothing else. There's nothing else holding us. And the problem with individualism, when there are no other institutions, is that we end up lonely. And so we latch on to something that is bigger than us that gives us meaning, and that's politics. And so because politics now is the identity, we identify as Republicans or as Democrats. That is central to who we are. And because that is who we are, politics now is a death match. There is no room for compromise or for tolerance, because if you, to, if, you tolerate, if, if you show tolerance, if you compromise, it's basically messing with your identity. As you go back to those two women, their identity really were as Christians. It wasn't on what they believed when it came to gay and lesbian Christians. The thing is, is that religion is no longer important in people's lives. And yes, people still go to church, but churches in many way become swallowed up by politics. I mean, that is one of the things that we've talked about a lot over the, over the years when Trump was president, is how much the evangelical church basically fell down to Trump. Probably we don't talk as much about how liberal churches very much have fallen in line with liberal politics. It doesn't matter which side you are on. the church has swallowed up the church has been swallowed up by politics. It is no longer the church that gives people meaning. It is no longer God that gives people meaning. It is yet just one more platform. For politics, and what that does is that it it really robs religion of its power. Politics has allowed religion to become flattened. Uh, the philosopher James K. A. Smith um, has noticed how partisan politics basically reduces the infinite. Which is kind of the role of religion to the finite. And this is what he says The problem with the Christian political imagination today is not simply that it is predictably partisan, but that it has ceded its elasticity and expectation to the here and now. Now, faith shouldn't ignore the present. As someone who uh, grew up in the black church, I can understand that. In fact, in researching this topic, um, I came across a quote by William Lamar, who is an African, Ameri- African Methodist Episcopal minister and he is very cert- um, he's very honest in saying that we can't be apolitical or non-political. We can't trans he says we can't transcend politics. The gospel is a word that has that was used to declare the birth of a new emperor. Our speech heralds a new ruler, one hated by the Caesars and Herods, who continued to kill the innocents and crucify dissidents in an attempt to hold on to their power and thwart God's reign. So, there is a role for politics, so we shouldn't say that politics is evil. But the problem is, is that the focus has become more on politics, in in some ways, becoming an idol. And what it has done is that our faith now focuses on the here and now, when in the past it was sometimes focused on beyond here and now. You know, even religions that I think aren't focused on the afterlife – Our focus on something beyond the present world, beyond themselves, that there is this belief in something bigger than ourselves, bigger than the now. So that's what has happened to the church and to faith in this partisan age. We can't ignore politics. Politics will always come up in our life. But the question is, how can we focus and pay attention to political issues without it swallowing up who we are, that we become slaves to the current zeitgeist? Maybe one place is really to reclaim our identity, if we are Christians, um, who are and not everyone here is, but if you are, and even if you belong to another faith, is I think that it's important that we reclaim the identity of our faith, because that grounding, knowing that we have that identity in something beyond the partisan fray, helps to make politics less toxic. And I think the other thing is that we have to really pay attention to language and how our language can really affect our faith. Because in some ways today we have borrowed a lot of the the phrases from um, politics to and plop them into our faith. So, for example, more and more mainline Protestant congregations are declaring themselves progressive. And what progressive, of course, means is that they focus on LGBTQ rights, the environment, race, abortion, and basically any other issue on the political left. And branding yourself as such a church can make the church attractive. Because people want to be with people that they agree with, especially on politics, and since politics is everything. But I think that we have to stop doing that. As much as it has been tempting as a pastor of a congregation myself, I don't describe my congregation as progressive, even though probably the majority of the people who attend there probably would consider themselves on the political left. We are not a progressive congregation, nor are we a conservative congregation. We might do things that make us appear this way, but we are a political congregation, but not in the sense of politics as we think of it. As a Christian, Jesus was political. He was political in his care for the outcast and for the critique of the powerful. And that is the politics, I believe, that we should be grounding ourselves in. Now, again, if you are not a Christian, there are other ways that we ground, that you can ground yourself. The point that I'm trying to make is, is that our faith is political, but it's political in a very different way. And if we don't see the difference, then there's something wrong with how we're doing. We're doing it wrong. So in my tradition, the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, um, we gather around, at least when we're worshiping in person, we try to gather around a communion table. And in uh, Disciples and part of the wider Stone Campbell movement, the table is a powerful symbol. It is a place where God calls everyone, no matter their ideology, no matter their race, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their sexuality. The table calls every one of us, and that is important. It is so important, especially today, for us all to come to the table and to remain at the table, even though that is hard. And it is hard because we are so fractured and we are so tempted to walk away. And to create places that follow the idol of our age, where we can create politics where everyone believes the same way. Last week, we all saw that picture of that garish statue of Donald Trump in gold that was displayed at the Conservative Political Action Conference. The response from everyone, including myself, is when we looked at it, immediately what came to mind was the story of the golden calf in Exodus. And that story is the, as the Israelites have left Egypt and Moses is, is communing with God and they, he's been gone a while. Um, the people are bored and they basically lose faith and they melt down all their gold and they become and they worship this idol. And I think it's true. I think, especially in conservative circles, Trump has become an idol, it has become the thing that we just worship. But I don't think that we should get too haughty about it. Because I think what that statue was showing was something bigger. It is reminding us how we have all, in many ways, bowed down to the idol of politics. And that has taken us away from what is truly important. Family, friends faith. Those two women that I saw 30 years ago did something that was amazing to me, and it has obviously stayed with me decades later. My hope is one day that we can come back to that again, that we can ground ourselves in different things, and different institutions. That we can learn to see our faith as something bigger than ourselves and our politics. And that we can see two women or two men or two of anyone who is coming from different backgrounds coming together because they're united in something else besides politics. Well, I'd like to thank you. That was um, for this episode. Um, I will be trying to find some um, times when we are actually going to be interviewing people. So I won't be doing monologues all the time. But... I hope that this was helpful to you. Uh, Do look in the show notes. Um, There are going to be several links to articles um, that were referenced here, and I hope that you take a look at them and um, give them some thought. Again, if you um, are listening to this like on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher um, or other services, please uh, make sure to rate and like the podcast and make sure that you share it with others. And we are working on some other um, stories coming on in the, in the near future. Um, one um, has the title "Who Mourns for the GOP," and um, of course, I will tell you more as things go on. If you have a question or a comment, you can um, email it to me at denman at gmail dot com. That is D E N as in Nancy, M as in Mary. I, N as Nancy, N as Nancy, at gmail.com. Well, <laughs> that is it for this week. Uh, hopefully, I will see you soon. Take care, everyone. Godspeed. Goodbye.